to AP or not to AP? That is the question. Hey there, my name is Mike Flynn, owner of Ingenious Learning. There seems to be a lot of confusion about whether your son or daughter should take AP and honors classes or not. Maybe the better question to ask is if your child is ready for these classes. And some of these classes have better long-term benefits than others. For answers to these questions and how else to design your child's future, please read the guidebook for class scheduling on ingeniouslearning.com. You're listening to Future Proof Kids, the guidebook for designing your child's future. All right, so the question is, should high school students take honors and AP classes? Well, I've got three reasons why all college-bound students should take challenging courses. One of the biggest challenges for prospective college students is finding the right academic workload that produces the best grades, the least amount of work, and the best chance of getting accepted into the college of your choice. Now, if you learn something in the process, that's going to be great too. If you follow the path recommended by the schools, your child will be eligible for college after graduation. But then again, so will everyone else who took the same path. To stand out and be noticed, and that's what we're looking for from competitive colleges, your child needs to do more and be better than others. You see, competitive colleges want to see a transcript with a high grade point average and lots of rigor. And rigor is the college code word for challenging courses. So in addition to rigor, many colleges still look for scores from the ACT and SAT. Now, those schools that consider that are still are called test optional, and they still will look at your scores to help you out. Schools that completely ignore are called test-blind schools. Schools also want activities that the kids have participated in, sometimes teacher recommendations, and if your son or daughter wants to attend an art or design school, they will need a portfolio. And the portfolio has to be somewhat extensive. It's not something that you can just put together right at the last second. Now, if that sounds daunting, it is. You see, kids get caught up in the more and better game. And before long, they're taking too many challenging classes and trying to do too much in their non-academic activities to stand out. Now, some kids can handle it. Uh, the only downside for them is a little less sleep and extra stress. For others who were not as prepared for this heavy workload, there's a chance that they're going to struggle with a lot more than sleep deprivation. Their grades are going to suffer. They're looking at some possible some social withdrawal as they start to struggle, academic burnout, and then anxiety and depression comes after that. At this point, many parents just throw up their hands in disgust and say, it's just not worth the effort. But don't let that be you. We can find a solution. We just need to do a little future planning to create a future that makes sense, but also reduces the likelihood of failure. Now, to do this, we need to understand why schools are structured the way they are. So the cafeteria-style curriculum right? It's all about the choice for U.S. schools. So it allows you the choice to take the subjects, just like you would have a choice for what you wanted to eat in the cafeteria. 
if you remember, cafeteria lunches consist of several sections. You can do, choose a dish from protein, right? Hot dogs and rubbery chicken uh, nuggets, protein, right? Pasta and rice, fruits and vegetables and dessert. The class choices uh, that you see are very similar. Each year you get to pick one class from each of the cafeteria-like sections. You have to take an English class, but you can select which one. Same goes for history, science, math, art. If you follow the standard schedule and get good grades, you're going to graduate high school and be eligible for college. But you're not going to stand out. However, to help students stand out from the crowd and sometimes earn college credit, high schools let them choose from honors courses, AP, which is called Advanced Placement, um, or IB, which is International Baccalaureate Classes. So depending upon your appetite for work and how interested you are in getting into more competitive colleges, you can increase the intensity of your course choices. Generally, the ranking of classes kind of goes as follows. These are the regular classes. There's nothing special. It's what the school will give you just to make certain you get through school. It's all very standard. And that's going to enable, enable you to graduate and qualify for college. Now, remember, there is no difference having a degree with all regular classes. And this is for most states now. There's a degree, no difference in the degree with just all regular classes versus one that's got AP and honors, right? The degrees are the same. How colleges read, that's a little bit different. Honors courses. Well, these courses supplement the regular curriculum and increase the intensity and scope of the work. So honors courses are sometimes required as prerequisites for AP courses. AP courses are the most challenging offered by schools, and the College Board operates AP program, which also owns the SAT. There are 38 different AP courses, of which most high schools only offer a fraction. Now, there are currently 22,169 high schools in the U.S. that offer AP courses. Kind of a competitor to AP courses is the International Baccalaureate, or called IB courses. Now, they're very similar to AP in terms of difficulty, and they have many of the same types of courses, it's just not very many of them. In fact, there's only 1,207 IB programs in high schools in the United States. So there's a hidden advantage to these challenging courses is that you have the opportunity to level up your grade. So by taking an honors or AP course, you can receive additional grade points. It varies from school to school, but you can earn a half to one full grade points for an honors course and one full grade point for an AP or honors, uh, excuse me, AP or IB course. Now, if you've ever heard of those mythical students with the 4.5 GPA and wondered how that's possible, well, it's possible because those students took multiple honors courses and AP courses to differentiate themselves. So the cafeteria plan offers you the opportunity to create a schedule that fits your needs and also your abilities. But these choices also bring a lot of anxiety, right? What do I pick? So one of the things that you need to do is that you need to figure out, one, is your child ready? Two, how many? And then which ones? 
And is there an advantage? Some, not all P, AP and AIB courses are created equal. To answer these questions, we need to find out the purpose of these courses. So aside from the interest of uh, that your child might have in a course, let's figure out why they would take a course. College readiness is the first one. So students who want to go to college should increase the difficulty of their courses each year in high school. Few students are ready for the demands of college in ninth grade, but students who put themselves on a path that becomes more difficult each year have a much greater chance of succeeding in college. It's a little bit like training for a marathon. You don't step out your door the very first day running 26 miles. You might start by just walking around the block and then jogging and then moving your way up. Working your way through classes is exactly the same. So these incremental steps from year to year will eventually lead to this exponential growth from your child that you'll be so proud of by the time they get to a senior. Now, those who've not yet taken a challenging course in high school or an honors or AP course, start off slowly. Prove to yourself that you can handle the workload and commit to the entire year rather than just diving headfirst into two, three, four AP or honors courses that you may not be ready for. So for comparison, imagine you wanted to be a mountain climber. You're not going to start out with the most challenging and dangerous climbs, right? You'll start slowly by climbing trees, rock faces, and gyms, finding something that requires more skill while hiking or camping. The better you get at climbing, the more challenges you're going to seek. It's the same in school. If you're not good at it, you shouldn't put yourself in a position to fail. Now, sometimes cutting a, a single problematic class is enough to make the whole workload bearable. And sometimes it's not the class, but the lack of skill that prevents you from having success. There's a lot of factors here. So if this is the case, you need to work on your fundamentals before struggling through more challenging courses. Not everyone likes to hear that, but it, it is essential, right? Foundational fundamental skills are going to lead you to easier, better path through high school and also for college. So a number of years ago, I put together something called the five keys to college. And these were kind of incremental skills that will, uh, that development leads to exponential gains. And these five keys to college are a very simple guideline um, that is just going to give you future-proof skills. Now, when you walk out after high school, maybe you don't go to college or maybe you go to college and you're in a challenging environment, you really are going to want these future-proof skills. We don't know what you're going to go into, but if you can do these five things or have these five skills, you're going to be pretty well off. Now, it is entirely possible to succeed in college without these five keys, but it's going to be so much easier for you to manage the workload when you don't have to deal with things that are unnecessarily difficult. So key number one is advanced reading skills. You want to aim for a plus one or plus two grade levels above the traditional reading, uh, reading level. Good reading skills are essential, and that leads to better writing skills. Key number two, advanced math skills. 50% of the students that go into college must take a remedial class. And nationally, that costs families over a billion dollars annually. 
So as with reading, you should really be one or two grade levels above what is considered average um, going through high school. So if everyone else ends up at pre-calc, you should aim for calculus. If everyone ends up at calculus, you should try for a second year of calculus. I know that seems like a lot, but when you get to college and you've already seen that material that first time, it's fantastic for you, right? To, to All of a sudden, you're taking an advanced class, but you're able to manage. Let's not go and blow you out of the water first day of college, first semester of college. Let's let you go see something familiar, kind of get used to the adjustment. Um, as long as that's gaining you credit, that's a good step. And the problem is when you go take a remedial class, you have to take those classes. They prevent you from taking higher level classes. Worst thing, you don't really get credit for it. It's sure it's three units, but it doesn't apply towards graduation. It's remedial. So it's pretty frustrating for parents when they've gone through, kids have done great, everything's fantastic. They get to college, they have to take this remedial course. So, um, you know, that's going to help you be competitive. Key number three learn and perfect habitual academic behaviors. So this is study skills. And you should really be perfecting these skills before you get to high school. So middle school, seventh, eighth grade, fantastic time to start working on your study skills. Okay, you're after seventh or eighth grade. Well, there's no time, there's no time to waste. You better get on it. Key number four is take two or more AP courses and get a B or better. So studies have shown that students that take a difficult class, like an AP class, and apply themselves, even if they get a C, they are better off in the future because they've really challenged themselves and they've learned something about what it's going to take to be successful when it gets tough. Key number five, well, score in the top 25% on the ACT or SAT. Now, these tests are challenging and they're currently declining in importance because there's uh, some controversy surrounding it. But you should use these tests as a diagnostic of your abilities and not the, a test that the college uses to determine your worth. So if you score poorly on the SAT, why? How are your critical reading skills? What's your grammar like? What's your math reasoning like? You score great on the SAT. Doesn't mean you're going to be successful in college, but it means that you have the skills to do well, right? So something to think about. College is a significant investment of money and time. And if your son or daughter doesn't have all the keys, you should solve this problem before taking more challenging courses. Again, not popular people who just like to say, well, I'd like to forge ahead. You really need to carve out some time, fill in those gaps before you let kids move off into to something very challenging. Um, you know, that, that's... A bad grade on on a transcript is is going to be there for uh, forever when the colleges look at it. So we've got to be careful. All right, we're done with the five keys. Let's take a look at the second reason uh, that you want to take AP or honors courses, and that's college competitiveness. Now, to be competitive in the eyes of college admissions counselors, students should take as many honors and AP courses as they can handle. A transcript with good grades and honors and AP courses signals to colleges that you're ready for the challenge. Taking numerous honors courses with poor grades is a sure sign that you aren't ready for college, at least not a competitive one. 
problem is when you don't go to the competitive colleges, the chances of graduating on time and the number of people who drop out prematurely, it's a lot of other things. So I'm not suggesting everyone should go to a competitive college, but you should go to the college that you can compete at and one that will push you. Now, if you do struggle, let's not look at this as a failure. Let's learn from this. Why did you struggle? Were you underperforming and you need to improve some skills? Or were you just not engaged even though you thought you were? Right? There are a lot of people that say, I'm going to take a lot of APs. I'm going to do great. And then a month in, they kind of get bored and then all of a sudden they struggle. Well, maybe you had the skills, but you didn't have the commitment, right? You need skills and commitment in order to do well in these AP courses and honors courses. You also need that same skill and commitment when you get to college. So when you struggle in this challenging environment, and again, it can be considered a failure, but if it's only a failure if we don't learn from it. Aside from uh, challenging course rigor, courses also um, have developed this kind of helpful tool called the Common Data Set. And it's something that's easy to look up and you can identify all this great information. So we're gonna use your skills, uh, which would be your grades and your test scores. And we're going to match that up with the common data set and see how well you fit in at these different colleges. After all, why would you want to go to a college that you can't actually compete in? It, it's If you're looking up every single day and you're at the bottom of the ladder and the ladder is way high, it's it's going to be hard. Particularly all the other factors, the new social life, living out on your own, taking care of responsibility, might be too big of a step. So we want, again, these incremental steps that lead to this exponential gain. So the uh, common data set, it's a collaborative effort and college and university uh, publish this every year. And in this list, they give some great piece of information for us. GPA, class rank, all the admissions criteria that we could possibly want, scholarships and aid, ACT and SAT test scores, it's a tremendous amount of information. When you're searching the common data set, though, the most vital piece of this puzzle is uh, to see if we're a good fit uh, is going to be section C7. Now, the common data set is 32 pages long, so we don't need to study it. We just need to focus in on section C7, basis for selection. Now, C7 defines the relative importance of academic and non-academic factors in making admissions decisions for first-year students. That's what section C7 is. So one of the terms that colleges have agreed upon is this concept of rigor of secondary record, right? And just to say it again, to colleges, rigor means how demanding your schedule was and what your grades were. So when you take a look at these, and, and I encourage you to uh, just Google Common data, common data set, and then whatever school you want to look at. Let's take University of Michigan. So just type in common data, common data set, University of Michigan. Scroll down to section C7, and you're going to see what they find is important. And they're going to say, hey, we really think that grades are important, and we also think that that uh, test score, uh, course rigor is important. You go look at another school. Let's take Michigan's arch rival, um, Ohio State. Right now, all of a sudden, they're going to say, hey, test scores are important and grades and course rigor. 
And it's going to allow you to be able to see how you match up at each one of these schools. Really, really helpful when we start to do college planning. So if we recognize things, schools are different and, and interested in different things. There's no problem with that. It's just that that school might not be a good fit, right? The things that you were preparing for or the things that you have maybe don't fit what that school is looking for. Again, so much nicer to know now before you get to school and then you realize, gosh, this isn't a good fit and you have to drop out. Um, you, you don't want to apply to schools that you're not going to fit into. Even if it's your dream school, even if it's, hey, this is my parents' dream, they went there, I want to continue the legacy. I know that sounds like a fantastic thing. Unfortunately, it's not really a great deal for kids because the kids are the ones that have to function in that environment. You know, I know a family of dentists and they wanted their their son to be a dentist, uh, their youngest son. So it was mom and dad were a dentist, oldest son was a dentist, younger son is gonna be a dentist. He didn't wanna be a dentist. You know, goes to school, uh, goes and, 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 you know, gets his dentist, dental degree and then realizes after a couple of years, this was not for him. He was always doing it for his parents and the family legacy. You can't do that to kids, right? If they if it doesn't fit, it doesn't match. If it's always a struggle, you don't want to do that to them. You want them to find find their own way. So we're the whole goal, always look at trying to make them successful. So now you ask yourself, what will make what makes my course load rigorous? Well, when you're considering courses, be aware that AP courses, uh, the quality may also influence decisions. In English, that means not all AP courses are equal in terms of difficulty, and you should be mindful when you're applying to some majors. So AP Music Theory and AP Psychology may be great courses taught by incredible teachers, but if you want to study engineering, you should have several honors and AP STEM courses on your transcript. Um, and if you can fit in psych and music theory, that's awesome too, but that's not really what's critical. Right, that engineering um, department is going to want to see STEM. If you want to go into music, you want to go into humanities, they have to pick and choose. Reason number three that you would pick, so we have college readiness, college competitiveness, and now reason number three is college credit. So unfortunately, most people think that this is why you take an AP course, and that is so that you can start earning credit in high school. Well, it is nice to earn some free credit while you're still in high school. The main goal of taking challenging courses should always be to prove to yourself and to the colleges that you're ready. It does you no good if you get accepted to a great college, but you fail a few semesters later because you weren't ready. Now, real frustration with colleges and AP and I, uh, excuse me, AP and IB credits is that there's no single standard. It's a major disappointment for college applicants is that there's no, no one standard that all colleges apply to. So while the college board and AP program are happy to tell you that the scores can be transferred, AP can't force colleges to comply. Now the AP exams use a point table to explain their results that in the hopes that colleges will comply. Um, it's very simple and straightforward. 
you get a five, you've done extremely well or what they call extremely well qualified. And that would be like getting an A plus or an A in a class. You get a four, that's very well qualified. That'd be an A minus, a B plus or a B. You get a three. Now this is the last one for, uh, for some credit. For some schools, they only accept four and fives. And for other schools, they accept three, four and five. If you get a three, it means you're qualified. That's like getting a B minus or C plus or C in a course. A two, possibly qualified. There's no grade level equivalent. And then a one, no recommendation, no grade level equipment. So now to add all to this confusion, colleges do not have a uniform standard for limiting the number of courses you can bring in for credit or determining how you can use them. Complicating matters further, some degree programs may accept your AP units, but still require you to follow a specific path. It's their way of saying, yeah, good job, kid. Now go get back in line. You're not that special. So one example of this is Purdue University in Indiana. The engineering program at Purdue is awesome, uh, requires four years of classes um, on a set pattern on campus. So if you walk in with one semester, two, three semesters worth of AP credit, Purdue is going to say, great, you know, you enter as a sophomore, but Purdue Engineering is going to say, sorry, you enter in as a freshman. So there's really no standard way to graduate sooner rather than just go eight semesters one after another, um, you know, year one, two, three, four. Now, all is not lost, though, because students can either take a lighter course load or take an additional course each quarter um, or semester to complete a minor. So hypothetically, you wanted to have your Purdue major um, was engineering Instead of taking standard 15 units, maybe you only took 12, and then you use those other, that open spot to now maybe get a minor in business or something. Um, that way when you, you graduate, right, you didn't waste the time. And so that AP credit didn't get lost. It just didn't help the way that you thought it was gonna be, which was to get out of uh, class or college earlier. All right. So you know why it's important to take challenging courses. You have a good idea of which courses are considered easier or harder, and you know what courses you're looking for. But what you don't know is how many challenging courses you should take each year. Unfortunately, there's no simple answer to that. Now, I have developed this formula that I think is kind of foolproof here, and the formula is N plus one equals failure. And this is the universal failure formula. So the straw that broke the camel's back, final nail in the coffin, the tipping point, breaking point, overload. These phrases mean the same thing. N plus one equals failure. It was a single straw. After all of the other straws that the camel was carrying, it was that single straw that broke the camel's back. Well, that N that extra one thing that we add on to, to the end here, that class, it's, it stands for one too many honors or AP courses, and that's what broke you. Keep this formula in mind when deciding how many courses um, that you should take, advanced courses, that is. Most people think that taking just that plus one too many challenging courses will lower your grade in just that one course. So let's suppose that you ended up that you wanted to take, um, you know, AP environmental science or AP psychology. You already had your full course and you go, I'm just going to take this one. 
well, and if it doesn't go well, it's only going to affect that one grade. Unfortunately, that's not the case. When you take one too many difficult courses, it most likely affects all of your classes. And that downtrodden sense kind of slips into your life, right? And when that happens, you have a very long school year ahead of you. So should I take an AP or honors course or not? The short answer is yes, but only if you're ready. How do you determine if you're ready? Well, let's look at the past academic performance. Did I perform well in classes that required similar basic skills? So if I'm gonna go into calculus AB, how did I do in pre-calc? Specifically, hopefully I took a pre-calc honors course that was challenging me to get me ready for that calculus. If I didn't do well in pre-calc or pre-calc honors, and I mean, it really was a struggle, probably not gonna be ready for calculus. Chemistry honors was hard. Chemistry AP or AP chemistry is gonna be that much harder, right? Something else to ask yourself, was there a desire for a more significant challenge? When you were taking that previous course, did you feel like I could do more? I, I, I'm ready for the next thing. That's a good sign. Did I succeed despite some rough circumstances or maybe even a bad teacher, right? Was there something weird that occurred to me? Uh, maybe there was a teacher change partway through the year. Maybe the teacher was, sometimes you just don't get a teacher who's a good fit for the material and for the school. Any of those things impact me where I was still able to fight through it? Okay, if I could fight through the bad, then I'm ready for the next challenge. Or you have to ask yourself, did I succeed only because of a good teacher? Was that teacher propping me up? Was that teacher giving me lots of extra credit? Um, I really didn't have any interest, but I liked this teacher so much, I didn't want to fail for them. Maybe that's not a good reason to take a course then. Something else to ask, will this course benefit me in the future? So calculus can be a great foundation for college math. If I, you're gonna go into business or psychology or social science that's, that statistics is needed, then gosh, maybe taking AP stats is gonna be good for you. If you're gonna go into a STEM major and you're trying to decide between AP psychology, AP um, uh, music theory or AP environmental science, probably should go for AP environmental science, right? Go for something that's gonna have an impact down the road. Now, the other ones, again, might be cool and might be great to study, but uh, there comes a point where you need to try and use these to, to help you leverage your, for your future. So the other aspect too, and this is the one that a lot of people don't think about, but it's perhaps the most important. If you ended up with a B in a class or maybe even an A, um, that's great. But how did you get that A or B? Was there a lot of homework points that you got credit for but most of your quizzes or test scores were C's, but you ended up with an A in homework, so it balanced out to a B. Well, if that's the case, then you're probably not ready, right? So we want those the quiz and test grade to kind of match the grade that you got in school for that class. If it doesn't, it's not gonna be a good fit. So there you have it. Everything that you need to know and maybe some things you didn't even want to know as to whether you should take an AP honors or IB course. 
I'm Mike Flynn with Ingenious Learning. Good luck. <laughs>